0: Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit ExperienceLiberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at DavidTice.com. So, without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. That's wonderful! Praise the Lord! We have so many good... I, I got so much into the music, I was thinking, what's next? That's just me. And so, I'm so glad. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. It is Palm Sunday. This is an amazing day. So it's the day that the nation of Israel was waiting for, for centuries for at least four centuries they had not heard from a prophet now jesus has been on the scene for three and a half years they are waiting for messiah to come and deliver them from rome they are waiting for these are the religious people it's passover week and in in jerusalem that means that from all over the world jewish people have come to jerusalem People estimate that there's about 2 million people who are packing into Jerusalem at this time. And there's, it's just hordes of people. Some of them know about Jesus. Others do not know about Jesus. It is obvious that many, many of the multitude know who Jesus is the rumors have been spread that the Pharisees were out to get Jesus. There were people that, had, that, that said they were going to get him, they were going to kill him. It was all a plan. They knew about that. In fact, his disciples said when, when, when Jesus was heading back to Jerusalem, they said, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to have problems because they're waiting for you. But Jesus went anyway. Jesus had a plan. Jesus knew everything that was going to take place during that week. And Jesus goes in with to fulfill Bible prophecy to do exactly what was planned. He is going to come in. Now again, remember, they've been waiting for Jesus to come. They've been waiting for this to take place. Several, years, several weeks ago, now, people started asking me, Pastor, what do you think about this thing that's going in, on in Asbury College? They said, uh, uh, is that real revival? How many of you heard about the Asbury revival? Okay, it's all, it's all over the news. Uh, it's died down now quite a bit, but, but I mean, people were saying, is this real revival? What is going on? Did Jesus really show up? Was Jesus really working? Is this, is this really a move of God? And I think it's fascinating. There were, uh, there were 15,000 people day after day after day that showed up at these revival services. I mean, it just, it continued 24 hours a day. And wonderful things well, uh, we've heard about uh, that, that, that took place there. And people were saying, some people were saying, oh, this is just an all-planned thing. And other people were saying, no, oh, this is a real move of God. And so people have been asking me, "It was it real revival? What does real revival look like? What does it look like when Jesus shows up? And that's what we're going to talk about today. When Jesus comes, what is it? I, I tell you what, I think. I think that Liberty Baptist Church is in the midst of revival. It amazes me what has taken place in the last last three months. There have been 30 new families that have joined Liberty Baptist Church in the last three months. Say amen to that. Well, praise the Lord. There have been... Just yesterday, 10 new families are considering membership. We had, in the early service, we had three families join the church. We had one man who came in to the service and and sat right right over here. And right after the service, he came over and he said, I just need some help. He said, I don't know where to go. He said, I just decided to come here this morning. He came here, came back and met me and coffee with the pastor. And he bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Say amen to that. Praise the Lord. Listen, in the last 12 weeks... Week after week after week after week after week, people have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. People have gotten baptized. God is working. It's an amazing thing what we are seeing God do. God is working. He's convicting men of sin. People are, uh, and ladies of sin, uh, people are, are praying. People are seeking the face of God. They're allowing God to work in their life. And it's a wonderful thing to watch what God is doing. By the way, last week we took an offering to pay off the debt of this church, and many of you got involved in that. If you didn't get involved in that, you can fill out a card today and get involved in that. We, had, we needed $176,000 to pay off our existing debt, and we raised in one Sunday $127,000. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord. I'm just telling you, God is working. That's an amazing thing. I really believe with by by the end of this month we will have all the money committed to to totally and completely eliminate this debt. It's amazing what God is doing. And this is God moving. God is working. And you say, how do you know that God's working? Well, in the story today, we're going to see God moving and we 're going to see what happens when Jesus shows up when Jesus comes Jesus they 've been expecting him they 've been wanting him there 's a bunch of religious people that are waiting for Jesus to come, and now Jesus shows up. He comes into Jerusalem in Jerusalem is the temple of God where Jesus is going to rule and reign for for a thousand years on this planet there 's the temple there 's the palace, the Messiah is coming in the Bible says in Matthew chapter twenty Twenty-one and verse 1, the Bible says, and when they drew, ni- and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, several things, <laughs> just as a prelude, when, when they drew nigh to Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, I love this. This shows that Jesus knows everything that's going to go on. Saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. He knew exactly where the donkey was. He knew exactly where the baby of the donkey was. And he, he, he knew all that. He knew it ahead of time. And the Bible says, And if any man say ought unto you... You shall say the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now listen to this in verse in verse four. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, "Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, thy King cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass." Jesus knew what was going to go on. Jesus is fulfilling Bible prophecy. This is amazing. Just exactly the way uh, Zechariah said it was going to be. If this is happening now, verse six, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and they, by the way, they found it exactly the way Jesus said. If Jesus tells you to do something, do it because He knows what He's talking about. Say Amen to that. Okay. And the Bible says, and, and they brought the ass and the colt and put them on their uh, put put on them their clothes. And they sat on them. So they take all their their outer garments and put them on top of the colt. And they pick up Jesus and they put him on there. I think that's very interesting that Jesus allowed himself to be handled and touched. He's placed up on on the colt. And the Bible says, and they brought, uh, and and verse 8, and a very great multitude spread, there are thousands of them, spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches, and we know those were palm branches from the other, uh, from the other Gospels. They cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. So they're looking at him as someone who can save them now, to the son of David, ah, they're looking at him as the descendant of King David, the rightful king of Jerusalem, of, of Israel, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, they recognize him, that's a quote from the Old Testament, recognizing Jesus as God, he's coming in the name of the Lord, Jehovah, Hosanna, save us now, in the highest, save us, save us, And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? The people that didn't know said, who is this guy? Who is it? Of course, we know this is Jesus Christ. This is God in human flesh who came to this earth to suffer and die and pay for our sins. He was buried and rose from the dead, proving that he was God. He did that. He was coming to do that. The multitude answered and said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, he comes in. He's recognized as the king. He's recognized as the Messiah. He's coming in. He's about to go now to the temple. There will be people who thought, if he's going to the temple, he's the Messiah. Is he going to establish the kingdom? And he's coming to offer them the kingdom. But Jesus doesn't always do exactly what we think he's going to do. Jesus doesn't always act in the fashion that we think he's going to act. In fact, he does something that is shocking. He does something that goes totally contrary to the norm. There were people in the temple who were buying and selling animals, and that wasn't contrary to the law of God. They were buying and they were selling so that people could could, um, take an animal, buy it, and sacrifice it. Here was here was the problem. If I was back in Galilee and I was going all the way to Jerusalem, I didn't want to take my sheep that cost. I'm just going to make up a number: fifty dollars. I didn't want to take that sheep, even though it was the perfect sheep for sacrifice, and I didn't want to take it. The law said you don't have to take it. You can know what the cost of that sheep is, and you can go to the temple, and they can sell you a, a, the same, sh- sh- same uh, size sheep, everything, for the same amount. And, and you can buy it, and you can sacrifice them. Here's what the people in the temple, the religious people in the temple were doing. They were saying, oh, yeah, but this isn't $50. This is going to be $500. This is going to be $150. Or this is going to be $100, whatever. They were, they were taking advantage of the people that were coming in and wanting to sacrifice. And so that's why he calls it a den of thieves. So these people come in and they're doing all these religious things. And by the way, all of this was accepted practice. This was the Pharisees that had no problem with it and they were keepers of the law. The Sadducees who were religious people, they had no problem with it. All of the temple... Uh, goings-on was all it was all part of it Ah, oh, that's just part of it everybody's celebrating everybody's doing whatever and they're all celebrating they're celebrating God they're in the temple these are religious people they expect that when Messiah comes they're going to say Messiah is going to come in and say great job guys hey hey come here you're my homies come on we're all together this is great everything's going to be wonderful that's what they're expecting and then Jesus comes And they get what they don't expect. The Bible says, look at it. The Bible says, and Jesus went into the temple of God. This is his temple. Jesus went into the temple of God and he cast... Out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and and the seats of them that sold up. He goes in and he says hey, what do you guys do? Get out of here! And he starts, he makes, the Bible tells us in the other accounts, he makes whips of of the sheets and he starts driving them out so that everybody leaves the temple and the place is vacated. This is not what he expected, or they expected Messiah was going to do when he came into the temple he drove out all the junk he got rid of the junk he got rid of all that stuff that was there he said unto them is written my house shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves but then the blind and the lame they couldn't leave they couldn't walk and they couldn't see to walk they're still there the blind and the lame approach him The Bible says the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna, save us, to the son of David, the rightful king. They were sore displeased. They were upset. These things are causing them great wonder and they're saying what in the world why is this guy allowing himself to be called the son of David and he said unto them hearest thou these things they're telling him stop them stop them from doing this he said they said hearest not thou what these say and Jesus said unto them yea have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise father the next few moments as we look at this passage of scripture I pray you'll teach us some things about yourself. I pray, Father, that you help us to take your truth, help us to apply it to our lives. God, you speak to us. God, we really do want to hear from you. God, I pray that you would just continue to do a work here in this place, that you would bring glory to yourself in this place, this day. I pray for lost people to get saved and Christians to grow. I pray you'll speak through this, your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you five things that were unexpected that the Messiah did, what Jesus did when he showed up. And I want you to understand, he does the same thing today. If he shows up on a nation, this is what will happen. If he shows up in a church, this is what will happen. If he shows up in your family, this is what will happen. And this is what will happen in your life when you allow him to do what he wants to do. be done. Number one, I want you to see this. When Jesus comes, he will clean out the temple. He will clean out the temple. Jesus came into a place that was supposed to be a house of prayer, and he saw junk. He saw stuff that wasn't supposed to be there, and he doesn't commend them. He points out the sin. When Jesus comes into our life, and we allow him to work he will point out sin. Listen, the unsaved person must first come to a point where they recognize their sinners. In order to get saved, you had to come to a point where you said, I need to get saved. Boy, I, I know the things I've done wrong. I was talking to Darian this morning, and I said, Darian, the Bible says we're all sin. he said, oh, I got a lot of sin. I don't know what that means, but I know what it means in my life. And before you can get saved, before you can ever Come to Jesus. Before Jesus will ever work in your life, He's going to point out sin in your life. He's going to the, all that stuff that you've justified that you said, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with that." He's going to say, "You know, this is wrong. You got you got some. You, you're selling some junk here. You got some junk here, and I'm not buying it." And He's going to overturn those tables. He's going to show you. Listen, a sinner, a, the Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says because of our sin, every one of us deserved to go to hell, to be separated from God. That's you, that's me. Well, you don't understand. I got a religious background. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how religious you've been, it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you are just like me. You deserve to go to hell because you have sinned, you've disobeyed God. Some you didn't even know about, others you deliberately sinned. You chose to do wrong. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Because of our sin, we don't deserve to go to heaven. That's why Jesus came. We can't work our way to heaven. You can't get to heaven by going to church. You can't get to heaven by being good. You can't get to heaven by doing good works. You just can't. Well, what do you have to do? You have to come to a point, that the Bible says, where you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that. And you have to recognize that Jesus is God, that he loves you so much that he left heaven. You see, he's a just God, and your sin Because of of sin, somebody has to die. Somebody has to pay for your sin. The way you pay for your sin is spending eternity in, in hell. That's eternal death in hell. Jesus, since he's an eternal being, could come to this earth and die in your place. God, in human flesh, came to this earth, Jesus, died in your place to pay for your sin in your place he died an eternal death for you on the cross he paid for your sin he was buried three days later he rose from the dead we'll celebrate this next week he rose from the dead he was seen by by hundreds of eyewitnesses maybe even thousands of eyewitnesses some of them wrote the new testament and then he went back to heaven now he says Since I've already died in your place to pay for your sin, you don't have to pay for your own sin. But one thing you have to do is you have to come to me and admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you don't deserve to go to heaven. And you have to ask me to give you eternal life. And if you ask me to give you eternal life, Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you are God, that you died for me. You were buried. You rose from the dead for me. I believe that, and I want to ask you to give me eternal life. Boom, at that moment, he gives you eternal life, and you become a child of God. Say amen to that. That's how we become children of God. That's how we get saved. Listen, you can't even get saved until you're willing to say, God, get rid of the junk. See, you can't come to God and say, uh, uh, you can't come to God and say, I, I want to be saved, but I'm going to hold on to my sin. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this. I'm holding on to this sin. I'm holding on to this sin. I'm holding on to this sin. But I want you to save me. No, he saves us from our sin. So, so the first thing he does is he gets rid of the junk. For the unsaved, that means that he points out uh, our need of salvation. We've got to confess our sin. A person cannot hold on to old sins of life and expect God to work in his life. As a Christian, once you get saved, you can't hold on to the old sins and think God's going to work in your life. The people in the temple thought, gee, the is going to come in here and commend us, and everything's going to be fine. He said, no, it's not fine. You can't have this junk in the temple. You've got to get it out. In 1 John, the Bible says this. It says, if we, can, if we say that we have no sin... If we say, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this. This is okay. Just don't tell me I can't do that. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, I'm not that bad. God will let me into heaven. You're lying to yourself. Oh, well, I, I, when I get to heaven, I'll just say, God, but you know, I did some things, but I was okay. No, if you think you're going to get to heaven holding on to your sin, you're lying to yourself. And if you, think, if, if you think saying there's nothing wrong with that makes it not sin, you're lying to yourself. But If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. If we say, yeah, God, you say it's sin, I believe it's sin, and it's wrong. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen, if we say that we have not sinned, if we say, oh, that wasn't anything wrong with that, then we make him a liar. You're calling God a liar. And his word is not in us. Listen. You cannot see God work in your life until you're well willing to come to God and say, I, I want to confess sin. What kind of sin do I have to confess? Well, there's two types of sins in the Bible. There's the sins of omission and there's the sins of commission. You say, what does that mean? Omission means there's certain things that God wants you to do and you don't do them. And God's not going to work in your life until you, until you start doing them. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, if you don't love your, your neighbor, if you don't love your brother, then that's a sin of omission. Well, I don't care. That guy's been treating me bad. Well, that's a sin of omission. God's not going to work in your life. You've got to get that junk, that unforgiveness out of your heart. How about this? A lack of witnessing. I was so thrilled yesterday. Walked in here. 192 people came here excited about going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. That was so great. They went out telling people, uh, just, just passing out tracts, telling people about how to get saved. What a wonderful thing to tell people how to get, to get to heaven. Isn't it? Can you say amen to that? It's wonderful to watch somebody pray and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There is nothing better than that. I was in a restaurant with my wife. We're in Panama City, Florida. Sitting, I'm sitting here, my wife's sitting here, and we're sitting next to a table. I, I, I walked up to the, the manager of that restaurant, handing him a gospel track. I didn't know he was the manager. He was just sitting there, and I was asking him when the place opened, and he told me it opens up at four o'clock. I said, okay. I said, hey, can I give you something really good? I hand him a gospel track, And he said, what's this? I said, it'll tell you how to get to heaven. And I talked to him for a few minutes. He said, well, thank you very much for that. He said, hey, since you gave me that, let me give you something. So he handed me a discount for the evening meal. I said, I'm going to pass out tracks all the time. And so... Uh, uh, so I, I, sat down, I sat down at the dinner that evening. I'm, 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 I'm having a dinner with her. My wife is sitting here, and uh, we're, we're looking out a window. And we're looking out at the beach, and uh, it was beautiful, beautiful place to eat. And a guy came to His name was Chase. Chase walked up, and Chase said, uh, uh, can I take your order? And I said, yes, I'll, I'll take water, and my wife will take water. And he said, okay, I tell people I like to chew my calories. And so, uh, so we sat down, and, uh, and so... Um, we got water and, and I said, oh, Chase, before you leave, let me give you something really good. I reached in my pocket and I said, I, I, I gave him this. He said, what's this? I said, "I said, listen, Chase, I went to church all my life, but nobody ever told me how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. And when I found out what the Bible says, I wrote it down so everybody could know. And he said, really? Really? He said, I'll read that. And he left. He brought me back to the water and then he left again, came back and said, can I get your meal? He got us our meal and then he left. Then I didn't see him for about 20 minutes. Then he came back out, and he said, hey, I just read that thing you gave to me. He said, is that true? I said, yeah. He said, he said you know, people give me all sorts of stuff about business and stuff, and he said, he said, but this tells you how to know you're going to heaven. He said, I don't know exactly how to pray. I said, Chase, I said, the Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says that Jesus died for us. He said, yeah. I said, and he rose from the dead. I said, all you have to do is ask him to give you eternal life, and he will, and he said, Really, he said, "I just don't know how to pray." I said, "Would you like me to lead you in a prayer?" And he said, "Yeah." I said, "I, I said, can you wait till after?" No, I didn't say that. <laughs> and he bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior right there in the restaurant. That's worth applauding. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's what God did. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know, there's nothing more thrilling than doing that. But that wouldn't happen if you don't witness. People say, well, I try to witness and people don't get saved. Well, pray for people to get saved, and they will. Uh, we just need to be busy telling people about Jesus Christ, planting seed. Uh, so my mentor, Sumner Wimp, used to say, you're, got, you're not going to grow corn unless you plant seed. You've got to plant seed. You've got to plant and plant and plant and plant. And pretty soon you'll see something pop up. But a lack of love, a lack of witnessing, a lack of service, not doing for others, but wanting to be served. This is all sin. And God wants that out of your life. A lack of giving. God wants that out of your life. God wants you to be a generous, loving, witnessing, serving servant. That's sins of omission. Sins of commission. Things that we do that we justify. Drunkenness. God, God says it's, it's, it's wrong. Be not drunk with wine. Immorality. People justify their pornography, listening and watching junk on your television screen. Uh, well, it's in my own home. Who cares? God cares. It perverts your mind. Immorality, pornography, laziness. Wait a minute. Laziness is sin? Now you're meddling, preacher. You stopped preaching. Now you're meddling. Laziness. God hates laziness. You know, I had a, 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 a missionary daughter, a missionary Uh, her name was Debbie Melberg. Debbie Debbie used to say that her her dad was a very successful businessman in Tucson, Arizona, and they used to come up to him and say, man, you're so lucky, and he would say this. He said, yeah, and the harder I work, the luckier I, I get. You see, God wants us to work. God ordained that man should work, that he should work willingly with his hands. God wants us to work. Laziness, uh, we need to confess that and get that out of our lives. Gluttony. Oh, Baptist sin. Stop right there, preacher. Yeah, we need to confess that gluttony. We, we just one more Oreo. God doesn't want one more Oreo. You've had enough. Most addicting thing that I've come across in recent days is salted caramel. Yeah, somebody <laughs> understands that. Man. Who, I mean, nicotine has nothing compared to salted caramel. And it's out there everywhere. There's no federal laws prohibiting it. And there's no warning labels either. Anyway, let's go on. A lack of respect. Not showing respect to authority. Boy, do we have that problem in our country. Listen, what I'm saying is this. We, the, what God's going to do when Jesus comes... When you see revival, here's what's going to happen. He's going to come and he's going to clean out the temple. And he's going to, listen, John, he's not going to come to you and point out my sin. He's not going to come to you and point out Rob's sin. And there could be many, many things he points out about Rob. <laughs> he's not going to do that. He's going to point out your sin to you. He's going to come to you, Justin, and point out your sin. He's going to come to you and point out your sin. That's what he's going to do. He's not pointing out everybody else's sin, he's coming to you where you are. It's so easy to see everybody else's problems. But listen, when Jesus enters into your life, when Jesus starts working in our lives collectively, he's going to point out where we need to straighten out, not where everybody else needs to straighten out. So number one, he's going to clean out the junk out of the temple. Number two, when Jesus comes, he's going to call us to prayer. Look at verse 13. The Bible says this, And he said unto them, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. That's a quote from Jeremiah. You've made it a, a den of thieves. When Jesus moves, there will always be a call to prayer. Let me give you a definition of prayer. Prayer is asking God to work through our lives in our time for his glory. I want you to read that with me. Prayer is asking God to work through our lives in our time for his glory. Okay, some of you are getting it down. Let's, let's do this a couple more times so you get it. Prayer is asking God to work through our lives in our time for his glory. One more time. Prayer is asking God to work through our lives in our time for his glory. That's what prayer is. When the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray, he said this in Luke chapter 11. He said, he said, he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. You're in heaven, but we're on earth. Let your holy name be manifest through us in this earth. Let your kingdom come in this earth through us. Let your will be done as in heaven, so in earth. He is praying very specifically, Let, let your glory shine through us. Let your holy name be manifest in our lives. That's what God wants for you, and that's what God wants for me, and that's what God wants for Liberty Baptist Church. He wants his holy name to be manifest through us. He wants his kingdom to come through us. People should be able to look from all over the city and say, wow, you want to see the kingdom of God? Go to Liberty Baptist Church. Let your will be done. You want to know the will of God? Go to Liberty Baptist Church and let the will of God be done. And we're to pray that. Jesus wants us to pray. He said, look, I just want you to know again, when God is working, God is going to call his people to pray and they're going to pray, God, let your holy name be manifest. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this earth just like it's done in heaven. And then asking God to supply all we need to do those things. He says in verse 3, he says, Pray, give us this day our daily bread. What is that all about? That's not about bread. That's saying, God, give us what we need in order to do what you called us to do. Give us everything we need to manifest your holiness. Give us everything we need to do your will. Give us everything we need to to manifest your kingdom on this earth. And when we pray... It's always going to be in an attitude of humility, not I'm so good, I deserve it, but we're going to pray in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, it says, we're going to pray, forgive us our sins, reminding us that we are sinners, just like everybody else, as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. God, nobody owes me anything. I just want you to know I want your forgiveness. I recognize I don't deserve anything from you, but hell, forgive us our sins. We are forgiving everyone that's ever done anything wrong to us. A spirit of humility in this prayer. And then we always, it always includes asking for direction and divine protection. That's why he says, lead, pray, lead us not into temptation. God, help us to make right decisions Help us to to lead us to the right doors. Lead us so that we don't do the wrong thing, so we don't fall, fall into some trial. Lead us not into trials. And then he said, Pray, deliver us from evil, which is the evil one. Can I tell you this? Satan hates you. Satan hates you. Satan hates every single one of us. Satan hates you. And you know what he wants? He wants you to hate the person next to you. He wants you to hate the other person in this room. He hates every single person in this room, and he wants us to hate one another so that we will not have victory in our lives. And so we should be praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That is, he prays that collectively. I'm praying that for you. You're praying that for me. Lead us not into temptations. Deliver us from satanic attack. We should be lifting one another up, not criticizing one another. Say amen to that. Amen. We need to pray for one another. God, the enemy is after my brother. The enemy is after my sister. The enemy is after our families. The enemies are after their families. God, lead us not into trials. Deliver us from satanic attack. Here's what's going to happen. When God moves, when Jesus comes, he's going to say, hey, we got to get the junk out of your life. And then you, you need to become a person of prayer. The third thing that's going to happen is found in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. This is amazing. The next thing that he will do is he will, when Jesus comes, he will help those who see their need. I think this is amazing because it was the blind that saw their need. It wasn't the people who thought they had it all together. All the righteous religious people who were just doing the celebrating, they didn't see their need. But when they were gone, there were some people who really saw their need. They were blind. There were people that, were, that really saw their need. They were lame. And they come to Jesus. Jesus is willing to help those who see their need. And that's what will happen when Jesus comes. If a person doesn't see their need, he just goes by them. There were a lot of people probably that didn't get healed that day, but these were people who saw their need. We need to see that. Now, that was, he was actually healing blind people, but I want you to understand, we live in a culture that is blind. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. In whom, now listen to what what the Bible says Satan does. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There are those who have not received Christ, and those who will not receive Christ. And some of us are praying for them. Here's your prayer. Here's what you should be praying. God, open their blinded eyes that they might see their need of salvation. God opened the blinded eyes of Christians, or of lost people in America, that they might see their need of salvation. God opened their blinded eyes. Because Satan blinds the minds of those who will not receive the gospel. Pray for God to be merciful and open their blinded eyes. There were people there. Listen, if you come to Jesus and say, I don't understand this, I don't see My need, Jesus will open your eyes. By the way, it's not just lost people that have got that have got blind spots. There's a lot of Christians that can't see their own sin. Can't see? I can see everybody else's sin. Like I said a few minutes ago, everybody can see Rob's sin. Um, But but, so good to have you here this morning, Rob. I want you to know I love you for coming, so I could just pick on you. the The fact of the matter, we can see everybody. We can see everybody else's problems. We need to say, God, my eyes are blind to myself. Show me the areas in my life that I need to fix. Allow him to open our eyes. And then he made the lame walk. People that could not walk are now walking. I want you to understand that God wants Christians to rise up and walk. God tells us to walk in the Spirit. God wants us to walk. Christians will begin, when, when Jesus comes, Christians will begin to grow in their study of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, you will, be getting, you will start getting into the word of God because you'll want to know what God says. Christians will begin to get up and do what God says to do. When God's working, when Jesus comes, Christians will start doing it what God wants them to do. What does he want us to do? He wants us to witness. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 says, and he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Christians will get up and walk. Christians will begin to see. Lost people will get saved. That's why I'm thrilled about what's going on here. People are getting saved. Christians are out walking. 192 people out walking from door to door yesterday telling people about Jesus Christ. People are coming up to me and saying, hey, I brought my friend. Uh, look at look this person. Goes, it's amazing. Christians are, getting start, are, are involved in service. You don't see what's going on at Liberty Baptist Church. You don't see what's going on at Liberty Baptist Church unless God is working and moving and people start doing what God wants them to do. It's amazing to watch what God is doing through you. Christians are walking. Lost people, blind people are seeing. It's amazing. It's amazing. When Jesus comes, number four, look at verse 15. The Bible says this, And when the, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying hosanna to the son of david they were sore displeased why because it was a rebuke to them when jesus comes he will rebuke the self-righteous people will stand up and say well i don't i don't, I don't think this should be happening here and people we can get so self-righteous these Pharisees stood up. They rejected, they rejected him from the very beginning. There they, they are self-righteous people throughout our nation, and we need to make sure that self-righteousness doesn't invade us. So how can I tell if I'm self-righteous? If I'm looking at you, Barry, if I'm looking at you, Ron, and I'm saying, oh, I can see what he's doing wrong, but I'm not like Ron. I'm okay. When I can see everybody else's fault, but I can't see me. When I can criticize my other brothers and sisters, but I can't see anything that I'm doing wrong. Man, it's so easy to get lifted up in pride and think, I I don't do that. Look at that person. When we get critical of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's self-righteousness. That's self-righteousness. You say, well, who's going to judge? Well, why don't we do what Jesus said? Jesus said that the Father has commended uh, all judgment into my hands. Ooh, that's Jesus' job, not yours. He'll do the judging. You leave that to him. Well, they're not doing it the way I do it. Well, why don't you just leave that to them? You know, in the world, the world's this way. The world world says, "I've I've, I've done nothing wrong. I don't do anything wrong. I remember one day. I was very, very young. I was either in my teenage years or I was, or I was new in the ministry. But I was like, in, either in my teenage years or in my early twenties. I heard that I must have been in my early twenties. I heard that my brother had overdosed on Reds, and I knew that that meant that he was going to die. In fact, somebody told me all that he'd taken. I knew where he was. I knew the house that he was in. So I ran over to where he was. I got in a car, drove over to where he was. When I got to his place, the owner of the house, his name was Joe, was standing outside. Now, Joe was a professing homosexual. Joe ran a, a porn, porn movie shop down on Fremont Street. Uh, but they had a pornographic movies playing. Joe was standing there with a martini in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand when I came up to his door. I said, Joe, I, I, my, my brother's inside your house and I said, he's uh, overdosed. You may not know about this, but he's overdosed. I need to get him up. I needed to get him up and walk him so he would vomit that out, excuse me for being graphic, but to get that out or it would go through his system and he'd be dead. So, uh, I said, "Can I?" He said, "Yeah, go go ahead." So I went in and got him, and I walked. In. He said, "I didn't know your brother had done that." And I went in. He's my brother's passed out on his recliner, and I'm getting him up, and I'm walking him around, and until finally, what needed to take place took place, and then I left him, and I walked outside. When I said to when I went outside to talk to to Joe, I said, "Hey Joe," I said, "Has anybody ever shared with you how you could know you're going to heaven?" And this is what Joe said. He said, "Oh, I'm going to heaven." I said, "Well, why why do you say that?" He said, "He said I know I'm going to heaven." I said, "You do?" He said, "I said why?" He said, "Because I don't do anything wrong." I said, "Joe, you don't do anything wrong." He said, "No." I said, "But the Bible says all have sinned." He said, "Well, I, I, I haven't." I said, "Joe, you don't think you've ever done anything wrong?" No, I've never done anything wrong. Man owned a porno shop, poisoning the minds of hundreds of young people and adults. Uh, man's smoking, drinking. Uh, uh, Doing uh, uh, involved in every type of wicked thing that you could be thinking of and yet he did nothing wrong I want you to understand that's the thinking of our culture there's nothing wrong with anything anymore there's nothing wrong with anything that's a pharisaical attitude the world is filled with self-righteous sinners who don't see their need for salvation the Bible says this in Romans chapter 2 in Romans chapter 2 the Bible says this when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So what this is saying is that, what what Paul is saying here is that there are every, Everybody in the world has limits. They don't go beyond a certain point because there is a law. The law of God is written in their hearts saying certain things are morally right, certain things are morally wrong. You have to totally and completely reject anything from God in order to become reprobate where you call right wrong and wrong right and you actually believe that. But he said most, most people in the world uh, limit what they do wrong because the law of God is written in their heart. Their conscience also bearing witness, but what do they do when they sin? What do they do when they choose to do wrong anyway? The Bible says, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing, they say, I'm doing this because of him. I'm doing this because of them. The reason I shot that person was because, uh, because they said bad words to me and they deserve to die. Uh, they, they accuse or they excuse. Well, I'm not that bad of a guy. That's what the Bible says happens. Because the world is filled with self righteousness. And we've got to be careful that doesn't happen with us. God God will work through anyone who will not be will not work through anyone who's not willing to be honest about their own sins and failures. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter 139. He the psalmist prayed, Search me, O God, and this is where we need to be. Search me, O God. Isn't this this an amazing picture? Is showing the Pharisees in the presence of Almighty God. These people are religious people and they think they know God and they're standing in His presence and they cannot see it. Why? Because they're not asking God to search them. They're searching everybody else. Please catch that. They're busy searching everyone else. They were looking, the Bible says, for sin in Jesus. They couldn't find it. But they were looking instead of saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where we need to be. We need to get rid of self-righteousness. When Jesus comes, he'll, he, will, he will convict the hearts of people of their self-righteousness. When Jesus comes, he will rebu- rebuke the self righteous. And lastly, verse 16, the Bible says this, And he said, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto him, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Here's the last thing he'll do. When Jesus comes, he'll fill the hearts of his children with praise. This is what happens. If you're a real child of God and God is working, he will fill your heart with praise. I love the fact that we came in here and watched these children praising God praising God, and these children praising God, and these, the children of God, adult children as though they may be, they're the the children of God, praising God, and then we get to sing and praise, it's a wonderful thing, sometimes, and don't all do this at once, because it would really kill the uh, thing, but every once in a while, just stop and listen to the praise all around you, it's amazing. The people of God praising God. I love the songs that we sing here. They're all about how wonderful He is and how glorious He is and how how amazing He is and how how amazing His salvation is. When Jesus comes, He's going to fill the hearts of His children with praise. Do you know that Christians have no right to be putting their face down and saying, Oh, how's your day? Oh, it's okay. No, your day should be wonderful. Say this with me. Wonderful. Say that. Wonderful. How was your day? One more time. How was your day? That should be the answer. Why? Because you have God living inside of you. You have the Holy Ghost of God came to live inside of you. When he came in, he brought Jesus with you. And, and you should never be saying things. I, I'm really trying to change my language. I don't want people to come up and say, how are things okay? How are okay? I don't want things to be okay. I, years ago, I told our staff, what you say makes your day. What you say makes your day. Oh, oh, it's morning already. Oh. How about, oh, Lord, it's morning. Thank you for another day. I know you hate people that say that. That's what we should say. Praise the Lord for what he's given to you. Look, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible says this and be not drunk with wine. Don't go out and get drunk so you can be happy. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful. Praise Him. You need to start every morning. Get down on your face and say, Lord, you're wonderful. I worship you. I thank you. I praise you. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this house thank you that I'm that I'm on on carpet not dirt thank you that there's trees outside that are blooming thank you that it's cold in Las Vegas thank you (laughs) praise him tell him sing to him and tell him how wonderful he is you ought to I'm telling you when Jesus comes your heart will be filled with praise Christians have no reason to complain here's why you say well you don't understand what I'm going through I know this you deserve to go to hell and you're not doing it. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You say, well, how can I remember that? Just let a match and burn yourself or something. And then say, oh, I don't have to go through that for eternity. The other day I was, I was cleaning up, and my, my kids were playing, we have a little fire pit out in our backyard, and, the, and I, I, I did a dumb thing. I let, my, I let our, our two, three of my grandsons out back and said, "Here, you can throw sticks in the fire. And then I walked in the house. And my wife said, are you nuts, David? Do you realize the three children you left out there? And I thought, oh, yeah, I went back out. And so I went back out, and, um, and I started picking up sticks. I thought, it's not that bad. I picked up sticks. I picked up the wrong side of the stick, and it burnt my, it was already. And uh, I thought, man, that was just a little tiny burn. I don't have to go to hell. If you can't think of anything else to thank the Lord for, thank him that you don't have to go to hell. Can you say amen to that? We've got so much to be thankful for. Praise the Lord. So the Bible says we're to give thanks. We, we have reasons to rejoice. The Bible says this, that the Christian should live constantly in, in joy. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. That's a lot to thank the Lord for. Say, Lord, fill me, control me today so that I might love and have joy and peace and long-suffering. It means I'm putting up with people and I'm still being nice to people and gentleness and I'm good and faithful. Just, Just thank the Lord for what He's done for you. Praise the Lord. Christians need to learn to praise. We just need to learn to speak good things. Ephesians chapter 4. I love this verse. Look at this verse let no. How much? No. I, if, if, I, if, if, if I was in a classroom and it was a chalkboard, I would take a, I'd take a, a piece of, of chalk and I'd circle and say, no, 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 no. Corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Don't let any, commun- I don't want to say anything that's discouraging you. I don't want to say anything negative. I don't want I, I to sound like Joel Olstein, but I don't want to say anything that's going to say, that make you think, hey, you, you, there's no help. Look, you should be the most encouraging person on the planet. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that builds people up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's you and me. That's what happens when Jesus comes. Say, are we having revival? I think we're seeing God move because I'm watching this happen. I don't know what happened in Asbury, I wasn't there, but I know what I'm seeing. I'm seeing in churches across this country, I know what I'm seeing here at Liberty Baptist Church. God is working, God's coming. You say, how do you know that? Because He's pointed out sin, number one, and number two, He's called us to prayer. And number three, he opened, he's opened blind, some blinded eyes. He's showing me things about myself that I need to do. Uh, he, he's, re, he's, he's rebuking the self-righteous. That's what he did then, and that's what he'll do now. He's filling the hearts of believers with praise. And I believe God's working. You say, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. I don't, he's not working in my life. Well, maybe you're the Pharisee. Maybe you're the guy in the temple that just can't see Jesus is there. Maybe you're just not seeing it because maybe you're looking at everybody else instead of asking Jesus to look at you. Let's ask him to look at us and point out where we need to do right. Let's pray. Father, help us to take this truth. Help us to apply it to our lives. I pray if there's somebody that's not saved, that right now, right now he'll get saved. She'll get saved, and I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now, for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.